Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. I am your host, Shane Hubbard. Super stoked to be talking to you today, and thanks again for joining me on this podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking about some more of the psychological, environmental, and behavioral factors of losing weight and becoming healthier. And I thought of this because I've I've been listening to a lot of different stories of people who are trying to do the absolute best they can to manage their weight or lose weight during this pandemic year. And it sort of highlighted for me, I had a little bit of an epiphany and I started writing. And what I realized was is that this year is really just a typical struggle with losing weight or trying to achieve anything under a microscope though. It's like, it's because it's because of the year that we're having and because of the unity that it provides, because we're all going through the same thing, it really highlighted for me some of the things that are maybe more microscopic in, in regards to what it takes to try to achieve something. So this doesn't pertain specifically to weight loss or even becoming healthier. It sort of just pertains to any sort of self-improvement or self-development that you want to make. And I will be doing it under the guise of losing weight and becoming healthier because that's what I do for a living. That's what I, that's how I coach. So regardless of what sort of goal you might have, this can pertain to you. So if any, any point I use lose losing weight or any sort of goal that you're not uh, trying to achieve or you're not interested in achieving, you can sub in whatever, whatever you're trying to achieve for self-development and self-improvement. So the reason why this is such a big topic and why this is actually going to make it into a podcast episode and not just simply a tweet is because there's a lot of things that you have to change about your expectations and possibly even your targets that are probably things you haven't worked on in the past. And I wouldn't say that this is sort of a different approach in a non-pandemic world. I just think that the pandemic brings to light some of these weaknesses that we all have. And I certainly include myself in that um, in that sort of group. The only difference I would say for me is that I actually experienced this last year. And it came at a turning point for me where I had to start, I had less time to devote to the things that were better for my health. I had less free time. And you might think, well, if you're working from home or your gym's closed, wouldn't you have more free time? No, actually, <laughs> I had less free time. So I used to have, I used to be able to, without a problem, plan my workouts on a daily basis, plan my nutrition. I devoted a lot of time. And this is something I realized in, in sort of an epiphany while I was writing sort of the talking points for this episode. And that's that I had a lot of free time. I had a ton of time that I could devote specifically to meal prep, specifically to getting a workout in. And it was my main focus. As I started to build my business, specifically my online training business, I got less and less time. And so I started living a very similar life to you, someone who works a typical eight, you know, nine to five job, eight hours a day, might have a family or other responsibilities outside of work and is trying their best to manage everything that goes on in their life, but also make health a priority. And so it sort of organically came about that I was coming up with a topic about this. And it just so happens that I started thinking it nine months into the pandemic world that we live in. Okay. So what I'm going to focus on today is helping you understand how to better plan and manage what it is that you need to do for your health on the fitness and nutrition front, but also provide some psychological framework for understanding how to approach things in the middle of a pandemic. And by pandemic, I'm really just defining something that is crunching your time, where you have to change your entire lifestyle, essentially, in order to adjust to the things that the pandemic has caused us to have to adjust to. But this could apply if you got a new job. This could apply if you moved to a different state and you had to, you know, it's anytime your routine gets interrupted and that things aren't so much on autopilot. It's where 
a lot of willpower and discipline seems to be sucked out of you as a result of having to pay more attention to your nutrition, pay more attention to your fitness, and continue doing all the obligations you had before you started doing that. Because typically what happens is, is because our modern lives are so busy, and because we tend to have a we tend to prioritize things differently when we have a lot of responsibilities. Our health usually is in the back seat or is on the back burner. If I was to put, ask you to put all of your responsibilities on a, you know, priority list, going to work would probably be number one, right? Because without money, you can't live, you can't live in your house, you can't eat food, all that stuff. Then your family might be number two. And I'm not saying these are the, <laughs> the order they should be. I'm just saying this is what might, it might look like. And number three might be, you know, I mean, it could be a lot of different things, but health is not necessarily always in the top five. And it's about trying to figure out how to move your personal health, whether that route requires you to lose some extra body fat, eat more nutritious foods more consistently, get a consistent workout routine, whatever it is, pushing that, pushing your health up the priority list takes a lot of work. And the pandemic has only made that more challenging because our lives are very different now. Many of you are teaching your kids at home. You're doing the responsibility that you have, uh, that we have all essentially let other professionals, teachers, do for the longest time. Now you are the teacher, but you also have your own job. So your priority list has shifted in terms of time commitment dramatically. And so... You might be trying to figure out, well, how am I supposed to manage my health at a time like this? And some of you might be feeling as though it's impossible to prioritize your health at a time like this. And I want to empathize with you for a second and say, it's okay to have that thought. It's okay to have that feeling. It's okay to, to look at everything and go, I don't think I can do this right now. It's okay to think that. But here's the but. It doesn't mean that your health is any less important. Okay, your, your health importance doesn't go down more significantly just because more things are on your plate. It's, if anything, the best time to try to prioritize getting your health in order. But I think that the reason why you're, you're failing at this is because you're trying to do it under the standards that a normal sort of, and, and again, normal's relative term, right? Your normal schedule. So you used to have a more normal sort of routine, regimen, whatever you want to call it. And now that's been probably flipped upside down. It's probably on its standing on its head right now. And you have to figure out, well, okay, I used to have my health as a priority or higher on the priority list. How do I do that now? And we're going to talk about that. And we're not going to talk about prioritizing protein. We're not going to talk about, you know, why you should prioritize calories over everything else. You know that. All right. Most, if you haven't listen to my past episodes where I really break down sort of the scientifically based things that are required to lose weight um, or trying to figure out how to prioritize workouts and fit workouts in. Go to some of the previous episodes that I've done or scroll through all the episodes that I've done and look those up because that's probably, if that's where you're at, like maybe you already have the routine stuff down, go look at those because that will help you structure what you need to do. What I want to be doing for you today is helping you understand how to shift mentally to a different sort of target or a different perspective or a different expectation. Because if there's one thing that I've seen most people do and and fail at, it's setting reasonable expectations, but also, and probably more importantly, modify those expectations once the effort has been put into practice. Okay, so I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's back up. So the first thing that I want to talk about is you need to set your targets to match your ability to stay consistent, not to achieve the quickest result. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight fast. I mean, that's motivating, right? The problem is, is that if you don't set targets, if you manage, if you try to, if you expect something, I should say, to happen and it doesn't happen. What happens to your motivation? Goes through the toilet, right? So if you don't understand that setting expectations or targets is important because you know what you're to shoot for, but modifying them based on your experience is also very important. So let me give you an example. 
Let's say that I set up a workout for you. And I say, I want you to do three sets of 10 on this squat with this given weight. And let's say that I give you a conservative weight, right? Your, mind, your expectation going to that workout is, okay, I need to do three sets of 10 reps with this exercise. And let's say that you do the first two sets and you're able to get 10, 10 repetitions. And it's, it's challenging, but it's not impossible. You're able to do it. The third set though, you're only able to get eight. Now, immediately, because the standard was three sets of 10 at the given weight, you might think, oh my God, I got two sets of 10. I, the third set, I only got eight reps. I am a failure. I failed. And so you take that sort of shame or guilt on and you feel less than you did before you did the workout. Here's how to reframe that because this is, this is actually very important. And I had to learn this too. So I'm not saying that this isn't something that I've been through, but I had to learn this too. When you, when you set an expectation, you're doing so in the mind frame of an ideal world where you don't really have all the evidence, right? Especially when you start in the beginning. Three sets of 10 might sound simple or easy or like you should be able to do it, but you have no idea until you actually do it. So you have to be willing to understand that just because you didn't hit the mark 100% doesn't mean you're a failure prioritizing the attempt of learning from an experience based on an expectation that wasn't met is probably the most important lesson in that scenario. So another way to view it, and this is the way I would recommend viewing it, is you do your first two sets, you get 10 repetitions, you do your third set, you only get eight, you might think, you know, previously, oh no, I didn't, I, I didn't complete it. But in reality, what I'm thinking as a coach is, that's awesome. We figured out where you are right now. And part of making progress is being face-to-face -face with understanding where you are right now. Not from a psychological standpoint, but from an objective standpoint. You might feel as though you can do three sets of 10, but until you prove to yourself whether you can or cannot, you're just living sort of in, in a theory. When you realize, oh no, I wasn't able to get all of the reps on that third set. If you could pretend to be a robot that doesn't have emotions for a second, what you can say is, okay, well then next time, what I should do is try to prioritize getting one more rep. Maybe instead of three sets of eight, or I'm sorry, three sets of 10, I do two sets of 10, and then that third set I get at least one more rep. Another thing that's important to understand is that there is a little bit of trial and error in self-improvement, no matter how accurate you might think your predictions were. All right, a great example of this is a calorie deficit, creating a calorie deficit. I'll have people on social media go, oh, well, I tried the calorie deficit thing and it didn't work. What did, did you, did you expect it to just, you know, did you expect the computer that you typed in numbers into for two minutes, expect you to figure out exactly how your metabolism works? or your metabolism is way too dynamic for that to actually happen. And even the best measuring tools that we have are not 100% accurate. So when you try a calorie deficit and it doesn't work, that's actually the solution. Because then you just make a further adjustment to fix the issue. Right? I like to think of a calorie deficit as sort of like analyzing your metabolism, right? So you analyze what's going on. You spend a couple of weeks eating a certain amount of calories consistently, and then you get a result. And the result could be one of three things. Either you gain weight, you keep your weight the same, or you lose weight. And not to go too far the, the, down the calorie example, but if you lose weight, you're in a calorie deficit. Problem solved. Most people don't experience that, though. Most people don't experience weight lo loss at all. And so they just give up. When the real answer is, no, you figured out how many calories you are eating to keep your weight the same. All you have to do is whatever calorie amount you were averaging, decrease that by two to 300 calories, probably even less actually, 150 to 250 I'd say. And you'll start losing weight again because you've figured out that at that calorie amount, your weight stays the same. The other problem that most people don't realize is, is that just because the scale says you didn't lose weight didn't mean, doesn't mean you didn't lose fat, right? If you're strength training or doing exercise and eating in a calorie deficit or, or, or being more, uh, specific or more uh, attuned to your nutrition from a caloric standpoint, you could be losing inches, 
not losing weight because you're gaining muscle or retaining water and losing fat at the same time. Okay. So just like a calorie deficit with anything you're trying to achieve, you have to set an expectation, but be willing to modify that expectation to prioritize consistency. Because if I give you a set, you know, I give you an exercise, three sets of 10 squats, you do the first two sets, you get 10 reps. The last one, you only get eight. To me, what that says is, okay, maybe we dial back the weight a little bit. I want you to consistently get three sets of 10 reps. So we just make a, a small modification, right? We take some of that weight off or we increase the reps, or I'm sorry, we increase the rest in between sets. Maybe for that last set, you didn't recover enough, right? Maybe, you, maybe instead of the one minute recommendation for resting in between each set, you only rested for 35 seconds. And so your body wasn't recovered enough to complete that third set. So as you can see, there's a lot of things that go into understanding how to meet expectations. Sometimes it's modifying the work that you do. And sometimes it's simply just analyzing what it is that might have gone on in the middle of the workout and then doing something to make that better, to, to, to sort of improve your consistency. And probably the most important thing for you to understand is that you can't take you can't be impulsive about small little failures that you make, right? And I use the word failures because that's how you would describe them. I don't see them as failures. I see them as just essentially working out the bugs, understanding more about you. One of the things that I prioritize when I coach somebody, whether it's fitness or nutrition, is understanding that, hey, the first month, probably at the very least, is understanding how to create that routine, how to find what makes what you're able to do most consistently, it's sort of a trial and error period. I can give you a workout, but I don't know anything about you unless I've worked with you before. I can throw you through a, a, a ring of tests, and I do that with my clients. I do range of motion tests. I do strength tests. It just depends on you know what the goal is. And all those tests give me a very accurate picture, but they don't give me the entire picture. So what I like to tell the people that I work with is, listen, the first month is going to be a bit of trial and error. We're going to have to spend some time doing some things and then adjusting some things, doing some things and then adjusting some things. And I want you to understand that during this period, I don't have any expectations for you. The only thing that I require from you is to stay consistent, to do what needs to be done and give me as much feedback as possible, especially as an online coach, right? Because in person, I can make observations and take notes very, very easily because I'm in the immediate presence of that person. But online, you're doing your workouts on your own. I'm not necessarily watching you, right? You're eating without me there, right? Which is whether it's an in-person client or an online client, I'm not going to sit at you at your meals, right? I'm not going to FaceTime you while you eat to make sure that you, everything's going well. That would, be a, that would be probably an ineffective way of coaching. But my point is, is that you sort of have to be comfortable with going through the motions and then appropriately analyze what's going on and give feedback or take notes. If I give you a workout that's way too hard, I need to know that. <laughs> All right. What most people end up doing is they beat themselves up for not being able to do that. When in reality, what you have to understand is that you're sort of playing this, you're, you're sort of trying to shoot a moving target. And until you learn the pattern of the target, shooting, it's going to be very challenging because you have no idea where it's going to go next. But as you start to understand, for example, that the circle or the target is always in a clockwise fashion, then you can quickly analyze and predict where it's going to be next. Or, you know, if the target is moving sort of abstractly after a while, there will be some sort of pattern and you'll be able to pick it up. Or maybe you'll be better at or at sort of leading your shot to the target. You know, there's lots of ways to describe it. My point is, is that you have to be okay with modifying things with the idea that as long as you stay consistent, you will eventually get your result. Okay, one of the things I've had to do just from personal experience to give you an example is in this pandemic world, I've had to set different expectations and different requirements for myself. As I've become more busy with clients, I've had less time to devote to a specific workout. <clears throat> and it took me a couple of weeks to try to figure out based on the equipment that I had, the time commitment that I had, 
and sort of all the different things I had to do, how to organize a workout so that I could get it done consistently because that was my number one priority. And then from there, I could start prioritizing specific goals, muscle building, uh, you know, maybe more metabolic work, whatever it might be. So it takes a lot to sort of construct this, but it'll save you a lot of time instead of rushing into something. It'll save you time to do whatever you can and they make modifications. A workout that you do that is quote unquote too easy is not a wasted workout. It's a workout that you figured out was too easy. So now you make it a little bit harder. A workout that you do that is too hard is not a failure, right? Let's say that you don't get all the way through a workout. You planned on 45 minutes and you only got 30 because you were just taxed, right? Because you set the expectation of 45 minutes, you might feel like a failure because you only did 30. Instead of realizing that you did more than half of your workout and you completed it. So this does sort of go back to the glass half full sort of cliche example is that we're always looking at what we didn't do. We're always looking at the negative. And I would say that as a human and human nature period, that is normal. I think that it's it's normal for us to notice the negative side of things. If you know anything about the human brain, the human brain is hyper aware of negative or dangerous situations in its environment, which makes sense. If you think about what the priority of the human brain is, or the human body, I mean, they're both intertwined, but it, it is survival, right? And what's more important for survival? Being blissfully happy in a dangerous environment or being hyper aware in a dangerous environment. So the human brain has evolved to prioritize and pay lots of attention to the negative side of what goes on in our lives because it meant survival. Now, we're not dealing with survival, especially not in a self-improvement. In fact, if we're, go, if we're sort of analyzing things on that spectrum, self-improvement is a luxury because survival is sort of the base needs. Once you've moved on past you know, being able to survive, it's about, okay, now we can spend some time on self-improvement. And for some of you, you are just surviving. And so you know, maybe further on in this podcast, we'll talk about what to do in that scenario. But once you've gotten past sort of just surviving. It's about making small efforts towards self-improvement. And if you can consistently try to be aware of when you're negative, like right now I'm sitting here doing a podcast episode with you and I left my blinds open and I can see people outside and every now and then they're distracting me. And so you might hear longer pauses and I could beat myself up about not having the best environment or, you know, not paying close attention. But in reality, I'm really doing the best I can to, to provide you with information. Sometimes in when, you know, pertaining to this podcast, I'll, there'll be a week where I miss posting an episode because life just happened. And I will oftentimes beat myself up over not being consistent. And then I have to have a, a very intimate conversation with myself where I start saying, you know what, you're doing the best you can. You're doing the best you can. And I would recommend to you that you start to coach yourself or talk to yourself in this fashion. Now, if you're the kind of person that has a, another voice in your head that says, well, your best isn't good enough to get the result, let me just tell you that voice is not you. That voice is some other standard that's been put in your head that doesn't exist in reality. Part of being happy, and I know this is going to sound maybe a little out there, but part of being happy is accepting life as it is in the moment, especially when you don't have control over that. And you might try to convince yourself that you do have control over certain situations. And it's sort of a balance between being realistic and not being realistic, right? You know, if you were to analyze your day and you see that you had three hours that you spent on your phone instead of spending 30 minutes of that doing a workout, okay, yeah, that's a great observation. It's good that you looked at that and said, you know what, that, that I did have, I, I wasn't doing my best. I could do better. But shaming yourself doesn't help it anymore. It's just trying to be less emotion, less emotional and be more objective. It's very easy to default to the emotions we experience impulsively. It's very easy to take things personally when someone says, hey, you know what, you actually could have done better. And here's why. Right, as a coach, one of the things that I do is I want to help you understand where you can, can do better and how you can do better. 
not simply just tell you you need to do better. That doesn't help you. You already know that. Most of the people that I work with already know they should be doing better. It's about figuring out how to make that happen, as opposed to simply just observing that they need to do better. That, that doesn't help anyone. That's not coaching, <laughs> right? That's just being another voice in their head that simply goes, you need to do better. Well, how? How do I do better? That's where the secret lies. It's about looking at the situation objectively and going, how do I do better? That's really what's most important. So although it can be very easy, and it is, it is very easy to be a sort of get down on yourself for not doing the most you possibly could do. But here's the problem with that. How consistent can you be if you're trying to do everything excellent, excellently? Right? It's, it's, it's very hard. One of the reasons why I think general standards, and, and maybe this is the way it goes for a long time. Like who knows how long the effects of adjusting our lives in a pandemic world is going to have. How, who lo- knows how long that half-life's going to be? And what I would recommend that you do is if, if the, the previous recommendation, let's say, with exercise was to get one hour of exercise four times a week, so four hours a week of exercise, what I would do is I would change that. I would change that expectation, Okay. Because I think right now, given the situation, and, and this might have even been true in the past. Like, I'm not saying that everyone needs to do four hours of exercise a week. But I will say this. The research that has been done on it seems to be pretty, you know, pretty clear and effective. That if you can commit four hours a week to some form of exercise, you will see great improvements on your health and just your quality of life. So that's great. Maybe that's the standard. But remember, does that mean that's the first standard you should have or the first expectation? Not necessarily. Right? I'll give the classic example that I usually give. If I sit down for my first piano lesson, would it be would it make sense that my teacher would expect me to be able to play an entire song that first day? Probably not, unless maybe they were a German teacher because they tend to be very, very strict and they tend to expect a lot of things. Very hardworking culture and groups of people. But my point is, is no, that would not be a realistic expectation. So if your goal from the very beginning is to try to get four hours of exercise a week, when you haven't even consistently been able to do one hour a week, why, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you set that expectation? Is it because that's what's recommended? More than likely. But sometimes if you put the carrot too far in front of the horse, the horse doesn't even see the carrot. And so the horse isn't going to chase it. If you put expectations in front of yourself that seem motivating in the beginning because it's a challenge, but it's a challenge you can't, or I should say the likelihood of you succeeding is very small. What happens when you don't achieve that? You get discouraged, become demotivated. And now instead of doing, you know, four hours or trying to shoot for four hours a week, you're doing zero. So wouldn't it be better to set an expectation or a goal or a target, whatever you want to call it, to one hour a week, prove you can do that first, and then set another appropriate challenge after that? There's a lot of impatience in self-improvement. And I think that that's largely largely because, in contrast, the human being in today's world has to wait for very little. If you want to, you don't have to wait for food. You can go buy it already made. All they do is throw it in a microwave or heat it up for you. It's called fast food. Or you could simply walk to your pantry and eat something that's already been cooked and is preserved in your pantry or your refrigerator, and you can eat that instantly. We're so used to things being accessible virtually instantly that we are sort of in the habit of expecting things that aren't going to happen instantly to happen instantly. And we're, we're sort of weak-minded in 
or yeah, I mean, you're, I would say that you're, you're weak minded as a result of living in a culture and an environment that is an instantaneous instant gratification world. One of the, when I was looking up the, the 75 hard challenge, I looked at it two different ways. I looked at it first as probably an unattainable goal for some people based on the standards, two workouts a day for 75 days. There's one thing to be mentally tough. There's another thing to set standards that uh, I just don't see it being achievable. Now, this isn't <clears throat> 75 hard is a mental uh, toughness challenge. It's not a physical challenge. So by no means, uh, well, let me just put it this way. I think it was it was ineffective to try to set a two, uh, two workout a, a day, 75 day straight approach. I think that doing anything for 75 days straight is enough of a mental challenge for most people, including myself. So to try to do two workouts a day of any kind, I just, even if that's walking, I just don't know how that fits into most people's reality. I don't see how that benefits most people. I see most people failing that. And we already have enough failure in in health that I don't think that we set another standard that causes somebody to most likely fail or the vast majority of people to fail. And the counter argument to that might be, well, if they're failing, they're, it's, it's the person's fault, not the challenge's fault. And my counter argument to that is that's the problem. And this goes back to dieting. This goes back to being healthier is that I think that we are setting standards for people that we think should be achievable instead of customizing challenges to the person's unique next most challenging task. So one of the things that I do in my coaching is I learn as much as I can about a person and I communicate with them. Excuse me. I communicate with them about what they see as being a feasible challenge. And I compare that to my experience as a coach. And I haven't been coaching for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. I'm only 31 years old. I just turned 31. It's hard to believe I'm already in the 30s. But I can tell you from my experience that most people have an idea of what their next challenge should be. And it's inaccurate. Because they're weighing it in a world that doesn't factor in all the variables. And they're doing that because it's very challenging to factor in all the variables. So what I'll sometimes do with them, if, if they're not comfortable or they're not able to do this on their own, is we'll sit down, we'll have an <clears throat> probably about an hour conversation, and we'll look at all the different things they have to do on a daily basis. And we'll usually just sort of focus on a day. Right. And if someone has a varying schedule, then it becomes a little more complicated. But again, it's about presenting all the different variables. And then truly from that expectation or from that information, creating realistic expectations. My realistic expectations are not going to be the same as yours. When I say getting three to four strength workouts a week is great or that's sort of the goal, that's a general recommendation. If that's where you start off, great. But again, are you weighing that against your consistency? If one week you can get three workouts a week, and the next week you can only get one workout a week, and then the following week are discouraged so you don't get any workouts, who in the fuck cares about the recommendation for three to four workouts a week? It doesn't... It, so I, I think that that's the problem is that a lot of times people will look at them as, as that's their fault. And the only way that is your fault is in setting unrealistic expectations, but you had no idea what you're, you know, had no idea how those workouts were going to affect the rest of your week or how you were able to fit those in. So sometimes to counter balance this, this common thing that we all do is I set very low standards for my clients when it comes to their responsibilities in fitness and nutrition. 
And someone might look at eating one serving of protein a day as like, how is that going to change anything? You'd be surprised. You'd be, you'd be very surprised. Some of that thinking is what's causing you to be inconsistent with your results. You're letting your ego decide what's effective instead of experience. All right? I could give you a three to four workout a week challenge. I could give you all the nutritional you know, guidelines and recommendations and tasks to do. But think of it like this. If you are new to juggling and I give you one ball, it's probably not that hard, right? You might not even feel that challenged by that. So I throw you another ball. You start juggling two balls. It's like, okay, this isn't that bad. And then you go, come on, bring it on. I need more of a challenge. So then I throw you two more balls. Now you have four. How often do you think you're dropping that? Those, the, how, how often do you think you're dropping the balls when you're trying to juggle them? Pretty often. Because in the beginning, the challenge curve is pretty gradual. But it exponentially gets more challenging as you add more variables or more tasks. So in the beginning, it's deceiving because you think, oh, this is easy. I can get one, one thing of protein or one serving of protein a day. That's, I'll just make it for breakfast, get it over with, and not even think about it. Cool. That's awesome. So then at another point, you might go, okay, throw me another challenge. All right. So for that same, same day, one serving of vegetables, one serving of protein. You do it for three or four days, then you run out of meal prep, and you don't get it the rest of the days. You might be like, oh no, I'm a failure, I suck, I'm a terrible person, I should have planned for that. I should have, would have, could have. I don't give a shit about that. You made a mistake, you failed, who cares? You had no idea what, what was going to happen. You were literally doing the trial and error process. So instead of spending the time feeling ashamed for what you didn't achieve, plan for it better next week. And keep trying to make those small improvements. So don't be afraid to modify your expectations or the targets you set for yourself to match what helps you stay consistent. Because if there's one sort of hallmark of successful dieters or people who are successful with achieving and self-improvement and whatever you want to put it. It's that they appropriately set expectations or they're willing to modify those expectations or targets as they make their journey through the process. There's a lot of other things, but that's, that's one of them. And sort of removing this voice in their head that expects them to be perfect each and every step of the way. The trial and error process, if you don't understand that that is part of the, if that is part of the journey, you're going to fail diets, you're going to fail becoming healthier, you're going to fail all these different things because you're expecting yourself to perfect, perfectly execute every single time. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question that I sometimes ask myself. You're listening to this podcast. You're alive. You've made it in the real world. You have a job. You either have a house and an apartment. You're able to pay rent, whatever it is, right? Maybe your life's not perfect. But did you get straight A's in high school? Did you get straight A's in college? Most of you are going to say no. I certainly didn't get straight A's. I failed math every single year in high school, and I had to take it again in the summer. And guess what happened in the summer? I got an A. All I really needed was more time. I needed more practice. I needed to be exposed to what I was trying to learn for longer. The education system was moving too fast for me. I didn't learn that fast. You didn't get straight A's in high school. You didn't get straight A's in college. Does that make you a terrible person? No. Does that mean you're an unsuccessful person? Does it mean you're not good at your job? No. So just because you're not perfect in your diet doesn't mean you're not going to get results. 
I would expect you to make mistakes. And again, I'm saying this with empathy. I'm not saying this because you should have known this. It took me a long time to understand this. It took me a lot of back and forth psychologically to finally be content with this level of thinking. It took a lot of positive reinforcement through audios and videos and people that have achieved more than I have speaking this sort of language. The path to success does not, is not taken on the road of perfection. It's taken on the road that's really bumpy. <laughs> the one that sometimes doesn't have a clear path to where it's going to go next. So the only way in which you can be successful in a world that's consistently varying is to create variety yourself or to create varying levels of expectations so that you can stay consistent regardless of what life throws at you, right? There's, there's a common cliche that, you know, if life throws you lemons, make lemonade. Or if a pitcher is consistently throwing you a curveball, learn to hit the curveball. Don't just wait for a fastball because if they never throw a fastball, you're screwed. Adapt to the situations that are being presented to you. And that brings me to my next point. Have a sort of, quote, emergency plan for your nutrition and your workouts. So I sort of like to, to categorize this in three different tiers. Okay. The first tier is plan A. This is probably the most ideal situation, right? You have everything sort of mapped out. Everything's moving accordingly. It, your expectations are being met very accurately. And so for that given day, you can execute plan A. You can execute the 45 minute to an hour workout. You can pr uh, prioritize you know, things like strength training, all the things that we would need the amount of time for to execute. Okay, so this is sort of in the best way possible an ideal situation. Okay, that's not going to happen very often. Let me just spoil the fun for you. All right, that's going to happen here and there. Plan B is where you're going to see a lot of what's going on. And this is sort of where you want to manage your expectations a little bit. Plan B is going to be you're still able to get your workout from a time commitment standpoint, but you're going to have to modify things. Maybe your energy is lower than it usually is. Maybe you had something that was more stressful or taxing at work. Maybe someone just said something to you that's making you think about something. So you're spending a ton of your energy trying to process that thought. That happens to me a lot, actually. Right? Someone might say something that I didn't otherwise realize, and now I'm preoccupied with that thought, and I'm literally burning calories trying to process that thought. I'm an overanalyzer by definition, and I have to consistently work on it to refocus on what's actually ahead of me. And planning things helps me out because if I don't have, if it's not in the plan, sometimes I'm able to just go, okay, well, let's focus what's on the plan. But anyway, my point is plan B is things didn't work out perfectly but you're still able to do something. So maybe, you know, using the exercise example, it's not a 45 minute to 60 minute workout. Maybe you can't even lift heavy today because it's just not going to happen from a, an energy and a psychological standpoint. Like you just don't have the neurological capacity to be able to lift heavy weights or, you know, maybe you cut it down. There's lots of ways you can modify it. Point is plan B is what's going to happen more times than not. So you set yourself up for something that's Based on evidence, so based on trial and error, you're able to consistently do. For me, that's working out anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes. That's doing as much strength training as I can before I physically just burn out because my life has been so much more tied up in giving my energy to my business or giving my energy to other things in my life that I don't have the same energy that I had before in my workouts. I used to have a lot more energy. I used to sleep better. <laughs> I used to devote less of my time, both mentally and physically, to things, you know, other than just, you know, working out. Like, I think I gave the example of in the last podcast that when I was in college, all I did was go to school and lift weights. So getting results, I mean, it was a, sort of a, a no-brainer. Like, the success rate was so high because I just didn't have anything else that was preoccupying my time. I was also younger. Like, I know I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I can definitely feel the difference between being 20 and being 31. I also have 
probably five times as many responsibilities as I previously had and real adult stresses like mortgages and, you know, taking care of, you know, uh, someone other than myself, whether that be my fiance or my dogs. And so just like you, I'm stretched thin in my own right. And I've had to find ways to still achieve and prioritize my health, even though I've been given more responsibilities and I've cut back on the amount of time. So I'm not trying to compare myself to you. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you for understanding that this is reality and the best you can do is manage the reality you're in. All right, so that's plan B. Plan B is what you're able to consistently do. Probably first from a time standpoint, then secondarily to a energy standpoint. Plan C is your worst day. Plan C is like the most you could probably do is put on your workout clothes and just walk around your neighborhood. Like just just maybe just stand upright, right? To, if we're trying to really like set the standard low. It's whatever you can possibly do to keep momentum going. Maybe you go in your garage and you planned, maybe plan A looks like you've got, you know, three sets of squats and you've got five other exercises after that. Plan B is a modified version of that. Plan C is maybe I just do squats and then I call it a day. Maybe that takes me 10 minutes. Maybe I don't even have the energy for that. Maybe I just go outside and go for a walk. Or hell, maybe I just set up a little body weight routine in between commercials or, you know, uh, like me and my fiance, we play Call of Duty. And sometimes what I'll do is if I'm on a plan C like day, and this sometimes can be days off too, like maybe you just want to keep the momentum going, but you don't want to, you know, overtax your system because then it'll affect your future workouts. I'll do sets of squats between rounds of Call of Duty. Or, you know, if you have a traditional, you know, cables uh, provider, as commercials are running through your TV, do, you know, sets of squats or whatever it might be. Your plan C is, has only the goal of maintaining the momentum. It doesn't have the goal of setting new personal records or, or becoming the next best lifter or getting the hardest workout you possibly can. And the reason why it's important to have these three different plans is because life is going to give you these three different scenarios on the whole. Like if we're just trying to categorize them in a very simplistic way, you're going to get more ideal situations, All right, You're going to get sort of middle of the road, more common, less ideal situations. And you're going to get worst case scenario, life sucks. This is the most I can do scenarios. And having a plan for all three is going to minimize the amount of failure mindset that you get trapped into. So if you have a standard for different levels of effort and you adapt, excuse me, I don't know why I have these small little burps, but because I haven't eaten anything today, but I think just talking without not talking is causing some of that. Anyway, you did want to know that. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so getting back to the point, life is constantly changing. The variables are changing. The outcomes of a day are changing. Things happen suddenly. Things happen that are planned. We forget things. We get really busy. You know, little Billy might have trouble with online learning. And so you have to devote more time to that. The other day I had to install our Nest, um, our thermostat. And that time is usually devoted to either doing a podcast or recording a video. That day got completely mis, or I should say rearranged because it took longer than I thought it would have to. And so for that day, I resorted to what's plan C? Plan C is, well, I can do this sort of a workout. I can go for a walk. So I went and walked my dogs. And it's not like right away you're going to be like, oh, I feel so much more accomplished because you're probably going to still think, man, I wish I would have gotten plan A. And that's where you have to sort of coach yourself through understanding and being your own best, um, what's, how do I say this? Being empathetic to your own scenario instead of being your drill sergeant 24-7. Maybe this is for guys more than women, but I won't even generalize by that. This is just my experience as a guy. That... We tend to be harder on ourselves because 
maybe we expect ourselves or we've been sort of brainwashed into believing that men should sort of just be robots and we should always just kind of do the task and get it done. And maybe it's because men see themselves as valuable to the world by solving problems. Again, this could just be me, right? I don't know. But for me, when I solve a problem or when I complete a task, that creates a value loop for me that then I feel more valuable in my life. When I first became unemployed because of COVID, I, I fell into a sort of a small depression because the value that I was providing suddenly just went away. And so I had to analyze what was going on and realize, oh, I have this online business. I'm just going to push all of my value to that. I'm going to create content. I'm going to create podcasts and videos and tweets and Instagram posts and YouTube videos and all these different stuff. I'm going to prioritize creating content so that people can achieve both from a mental and a physical standpoint or be fueled by those things to achieve their goals. So sometimes when you sort of attribute your value to completing things and you don't complete that thing, you feel less valuable. And so the way that I, at least it worked for me, is that I had to create different value structures. I had to create a bare minimum value structure. And maybe this isn't the best psychological advice. So I'm, I'm just going to preface this by saying, if you're a psychologist or you're someone who's listening to this who's who doesn't see the value in this, it's probably not 100% psychologically sound, but this is what I saw. I have to feel valuable at in my day in order to feel good about that day. So if I can, if I have a sort of a bare minimum amount of tasks, if I complete that, I feel good. Everything beyond that is sort of bonus points. And when I've set my standard at that, I've become more happier because I'm not unrealistically setting standards. That's that's probably one of my big flaws. I have many flaws. But when I was talking with my coaches, one of the things that I expressed to them was that I have a tendency to set very high standards and that those standards are not realistic as a consistent part of what's going on. And they gave me some really good advice. They said, what you are doing right now is very unsustainable. But that doesn't mean that what you're doing right now needs to be changed. Okay. At the time that you start to feel as though there does need to be change, have a plan for that. And that became very important for me. It's very likely that at some point, I am going to have to get a nine to five job. I'm used to using to working sort of a split job where I work several hours in the morning when people are awake, whether they want to be or not, uh, to work out, and then after work. So, you know, a night and a morning shift, essentially. I might have to go to a typical nine-to-five job at some point because who knows when gyms are going to open again, at least in my area. That will be another adjustment. I will have to change all of my content creation standards to be very different. You might start to see less content for me less consistently. But does that mean I need to adjust that right now? No. In fact, that's even more motivation for me to push myself to do more work without you know, it causing a whole lot of turmoil in other parts of my life that are very important, like you know, my relationships, uh, my health in general, right? I might work so hard, and I do have a tendency to do this, and maybe you're like this too, where I work hard so much so that I put my health on the back burner. I mean, that's what we're talking about today, right? It's about trying to figure out how to balance that out. Finding the ba- balance is one of my clients put it. Um, and this episode is inspired by that conversation that I had with her. She, she said, I'm trying to find the balance. And right now I'm pushing myself to see how far I can go. And then I'm going to dial it back eventually. And that's an important thing to understand too. Okay. The last five minutes I want to spend talking about something I've already talked about, but I want to highlight here because I think it's important. It's very important to measure the smallest victories just as much as you measure the big ones. So you might have a weight loss goal of losing you know, 20 pounds. 
And you might not actually feel accomplished until you lose those 20 pounds. But I would argue that if that is the only way that you are measuring your progress, that you will never get to that 20-pound weight loss. And research supports this. I'm reading a, a book right now called Secrets from the Diet Lab. And I'm already, I'm only like 10 pages in, and there's already references to research that's been shown that very few people succeed on, on losing weight. And the standard for success is losing weight and keeping it off. Something like 5 to 10% of people can lose weight and keep it off. That means there's a 90 95 to 90% failure rate. And I would argue that a lot of that comes from not measuring the smallest levels of improvement. And sometimes that's because you're not looking at them. But a lot of times it's because they happen and you don't acknowledge them. What might I be talking about as an example? You're at a restaurant. You usually order the triple gravy bre breakfast biscuit. And instead of ordering the triple gravy bre breakfast biscuit, I can't believe I made that word up. Try saying that six times fast. Instead of ordering the triple, you order the double. Now you might go, where the hell is the progress in that? It's in the marginal difference. If we were to break down that meal, if it was staying sound to its actual you know, name, a triple is going to have, let's say, 3,000 calories in it. A double, maybe it only has 2,000 calories in it. Now you might be thinking, well, it's still a triple, it's still a, a gravy train biscuit breakfast sandwich. It's still like unhealthy and full of calories. Yeah, yeah, I mean... You're not wrong, but you're also not measuring it in the most productive way possible. You're measuring it with an all-or-nothing mindset instead of going, oh, wow, I usually order the triple, but now I'm making a conscious, conscious effort to only order the double. And then when, you, when you're able to experience that and you go, oh, wow, the triple really isn't that much different than the double. It's just less food, but I still get full on that amount of food. You might then be motivated to go, well, I just need the single. And then you eat the single and you go, oh, I, I don't need the double. Like, I'm not still hungry. This is weird. Why is this happening? And this sometimes happens with people, especially when they start to count their calories or track their food intake, is they start to go, I didn't actually need any of that extra food. I was just being lazy-minded. I was just sort of giving in to my impulsive emotional want for food instead of my actual physical need. And don't get me wrong, it's a balance between those two things. Like, you're not just a robot that eats calories. We have evolved to enjoy food. That's very important. In fact, if you don't have that, you're not going to succeed with losing weight. It's one of the reasons why, you know, if you go on a diet and it, it takes away some of your favorite foods, you're fucked. You're not going to succeed on that. And if you don't believe me, go try it. I don't care. Waste four you know, weeks of your life. And then you can come back and tell me, yeah, you're right. So measure very small things. Stop worrying about the number on the scale, right? That's, that's probably one of the, the less effective ways to measure progress. I still think it's necessary as a learning tool. I just don't think it's, it's going to be a good thing for you in terms of measuring different ways of progressing. It's one of the reasons why I did that episode on 21 different ways to measure progress without the scale or non-scale victories. Because I, th I think that as a culture, we tend to let the scale determine our progress. And as a result, in the wake of that, we miss all of the things that all the ways we're making progress. And we don't see those things. And had we actually seen those things, and understood their value and their importance for our longevity with our approach, we might have actually gone longer into our diet. So measure the smallest victories, just like they're big ones. Every form of success is important. And that's going to be different from person to person. So don't feel like just because Susie measures it by, you know, how many grapes she eats, that you have to do that too. Measure it in the way that you start to manifest it in your life. Maybe for you, it's 
putting on a pair of pants that you've wanted to fit into, but just weren't able to. Maybe for you, it's waking up, you know, half an hour earlier and maybe not getting even a workout. You're just waking up earlier to get into the routine of waking up earlier. And then you wake up earlier and now you go for a walk. And now you wake up earlier. Instead of going for a walk, you try a little bit more of an intense workout. And whatever it might be, measure your success as anything different in a positive direction than what you were previously doing. That's all progress is. That's the definition of progress, and that's how you should think of it. You have to look at progress and not necessarily success as, as it's been defined probably more commonly in, in sort of the mainstream viewpoint. You get to set the standards for your success, and you have to understand that those are important. It's very important to look at what you're doing and look for that next small step. Like I mentioned before, if it means instead of ordering the triple gravy train biscuit breakfast sandwich, order the double. I worked with a woman one time who would drink a Coke a day. And I, I told her, I said, the only thing I want you to do is change the diet. Still drink a Coke a day. I don't care. And she's like, what? I was like, yeah. She's like, really? Yeah. Does that, does that sound doable to you? Can you do that? She's like, yeah, I can do that. That's easy. Okay, great. Let's do it. And that's what we did. And guess what? She saw progress. Again, you don't have to do that too. But my point is, is that as a coach, I have to look for the smallest ways that someone can improve. And usually it's the least likely step that that person sees themselves. They think they have to go from whatever they're doing right now to a completely 180, you know, change in what they're, what they're doing. No. You look at what you're doing, you understand what you're doing, and then you change it ever so slightly. Now, if I was to go behind the scenes, if I take a, uh, let's say a, a soda is 90 calories, and I take 90 calories out of her diet every single day, and I do that for an entire week, what is that, seven times nine is what, 63? 630 calories. That's a 630 calorie deficit for that week, simply by just taking out a 90 calorie Coke that she was consistently consuming every single day and replacing it with virtually the exact same thing, but a diet version where it doesn't have any calories. That's it. Was that person going to lose weight? Eh, it depends on how much body fat they have and how far removed they are and you know all that kind of stuff from maybe a more normal change, but for her anyway, she lost weight, but it wasn't even the weight loss that she was so excited about. It was that she was saying, seeing changes in her life that didn't require her to completely change her life. As creatures that do not really enjoy change, we have to be smart about how we solicit change. And it takes a little extra work, but it's it, the benefit that you get out of it is tenfold. Because what's one of the hardest parts about dieting? The first thought is, oh my God, I have to completely change everything, <laughs> right? You might be eating a certain kind of food and you might go, oh, this wouldn't be good on a diet. I can't do that. Actually, no. You could still consume that food. You just have to be more mindful of its calories, the portion you're consuming it in and how it fits in with the rest of your calories throughout the day. If you want a donut for breakfast, that's fine. Have a donut for breakfast. Are you able to manage everything else that happens as a result of that? That's for that's for trial and error to decide. You know, I, I haven't had any clients that have successfully had a donut for breakfast and, you know, lost weight and improved, but doesn't mean it can't happen. Right? You have to sort of look beyond sort of the common diet culture and emotional uh bullshit that's been pinned on that and you have to look at it from a very objective standpoint how am i able to manage my calories while also managing my my food preference or my food intake and uh we've talked about that before so i won't go too much into that but anyway that is my episode for today thanks a ton for listening i hope that this helped give you a little bit more perspective on 
how to view the changes that you make in your life. And I want you to start to realize that it's it doesn't have to be a ground and pound, absolute grind, suffer fest in order to achieve your goals. It requires modifying things to prioritize consistency. It um, does require a little bit of letting go of your ego and being able to look at things objectively and say, you know what, maybe that was a little too hard. Let's dial it back. And being confident that just because you dial it back doesn't mean you're going to get less results. That's an important thing to understand too. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. I really do appreciate your time. Two things before you leave. First, I have opened up my merchandise store. You can go to www.shanehubbardfit.com forward slash shop, and you can check out all of the merchandise items that I have. I have a couple of shirts, a hat, some stickers, and I think a coffee mug. Yeah, coffee mug. I just, I added that actually most recently. And then also, if you wouldn't mind, please leave a star re- review of the podcast. Um, and if you feel so inclined, leaving a comment is even more beneficial for reaching more people because when they come across my podcasts, the first thing people do is go and look and see if anyone else has actually liked this podcast, right? It's one thing to have ratings, which you know can, can sort of tell people things, but it's, all, it's another thing to hear other people talk about the podcast. So if you have less than a minute that you can devote to that, I would really appreciate it. It would go an extremely long way for my podcast and just for my content in general. And with that being said, I hope that you have a wonderful day. If at any point you want to reach out and contact me on any social media or email me, feel free. I am always open to questions. And uh, actually, that's that's what I enjoy most about my job is, is being able to receive some sort of questions or some comment and help you out in any way that I can in that moment. So anyway, thanks a ton for listening, and I will talk to you in a future episode.